Howdy, Ags. Welcome to Aggie Growth Hacks, the podcast sponsored by the McFerrin Center for Entrepreneurship at Texas A&M, where we help entrepreneurs improve their business, connect with other Aggie entrepreneurs, and support one another. I'm your host, Greg Martin, Fighting Texas Aggie Class of 2001. And I'm your co-host, Chris Hunter, Fighting Texas Aggie Class of 1998. Boop. Got a little story for you, Ags. Bill Biggs, Fighting Texas Aggie Class of 1994, is the founder of Biggs & Associates a consulting group that focuses on helping companies define, build, and strengthen their culture. Bill believes that a strong culture allows high-performing teams to achieve their wildest dreams. Oh, and he also wrote Johnny's Highland speech. So there's that. So pass it back and listen up to Bill as he shares some good bolts. Well, Bill, thank you so much for joining us all the way from sunny Hawaii. Seriously, this is an amazing way to kick off a new year of Aggie Growth Hacks. Uh, really am excited about the opportunity that we've got to learn about you, your experience, your background, the company that you have, and the passion for entrepreneurship. So, Bill, thank you for making time today and joining us uh, from your vacation in Hawaii. Well, guys, thank you. I'm thrilled to be here. I feel very Blessed and honored and privileged to be with you two. You guys are well known in the Aggie community and uh, doing some great things and helping a lot of people, which really resonates with who I am and what I believe in. So thank you. I appreciate you having me. We're definitely excited for today. Uh, we are lucky enough to to be to all three of us be here in Aggie Land for our homes. Uh, you're on a, a little trip right now, but but seriously, Bill, what do you miss about no longer being a student at AM? You know, it's so funny. I tell people this all the time. Having lived in College Station for most of the years post-graduation, uh, so I got my my bachelor's and my master's from A&M, my bachelor's in uh, 94 and my master's in 99. And I, I, I still, I'm 50 years old, and I still feel like I, it was just a while ago that I was in school. I drive by campus. You know, I, I, I'm in a restaurant, and I think I'm a college student. I think I'm just a few years removed from being a college student. And so, um, there, you know, there's something in the air that keeps me in that hallucinatory state in college station that I'm younger than I really am, which I appreciate. But no, what I miss about it, um, I think the experiences of having just all of this learning and all of this opportunity to learn uh, and grow as a human being with, you know, 30,000, 50,000 of your closest friends that's just something you can't reproduce uh, outside of the university environment. And there's no place like A&M for that, uh, you know. And so my son uh, is now a junior and his freshman year was the COVID year. And so they it was the only year they haven't had fish camp. And I, I've, it's just broken my heart. He doesn't realize what he's missed, but it just broke my heart that he didn't get to go to fish camp. Uh, because he doesn't get to experience and understand from the base level, right? He wasn't primed as well as most of us were uh, when we were freshmen at AM. So I miss the social and I miss the learning. And I still get those. You can still find those in other places, but I don't think you get it on the magnitude that you get when you're at AM. Absolutely. And, and absolutely love that, by the way. So, Bill, why don't you tell us a little bit about what you do? There's like a long laundry list of titles that we have here. Why don't you tell us what you are doing now and what has been your entrepreneurial journey? Yeah, this is a fascinating question to me, guys, because I, I, I don't think I've figured out what I wanted to do with my life until I was in my 30s or maybe 40s. And I think the reason is because I've taken 
the kind of the culture, the pop culture advice that, you know, just do what you're passionate about and you'll be wildly successful. Uh, you know, we hear that in culture. I, I actually, I think that's bad advice. I don't think that's true because, you know, I'm five, nine, you know, I, I can lie and every once in a while I say I'm five, 10 and get away with it. But, you know, I'm five, nine and I wanted to be a professional football player and it just was never, that's what I was passionate about growing up. And it just wasn't going to happen. I, I'm not, you know, I'm a decent athlete, but I'm not a professional football athlete. And so I could be as passionate about that as I wanted, but I probably wasn't going to make a living out of it. I've really thought about that a lot, and I've done a twist on it, which I believe is a little more accurate to people's lives, especially college students and young people's lives. I don't think you should look at just what you're passionate about and then say, oh, I'm going to just follow that, and then I'll be successful. I think you've got to do some self-analysis and become self-aware and learn what you're good at, what gifts, what strengths, what talents do you have innately and become passionate about those things. And if you'll become passionate about what you're already good at, you can probably make a really successful life out of that and impact a lot of people. And from my perspective, uh, which there's a, there's kind of a faith-based element in there that says, you know, you're kind of designed, live out your design, live out the way you've been, what you've been given, maximize it, live up to that potential and you're going to be highly successful. So I say all that to say it took me until my 30s or 40s to really realize that what I am at heart is a coach. And, and there may be other words for that, leader or whatever, but I enjoy getting the most out of people. I love, I get deep satisfaction in seeing people do well and living up to their full potential. And then I also love to win. I love to see a group of those people put together and maximize so that they win, so that they get this pleasure, this exhilaration of being the best at what they do organizationally. You know, I always found myself in, and I was actually a coach for a little while. Uh, I found myself in those types of situations, but whoever wakes up and says, or goes to college and says, my occupation is going to be leader. I, it sounds presumptuous. It sounds, you know, all of that. And I don't even like to use it very much now. It, it, in reference to myself. But at the end of the day, I'm a coach. I grow people, then I put them together and grow them into a team. And I hate losing and I love winning. And I think a lot of people feel that way to some degree or another. And so if I can grow people and put them together on a team and win, then that makes me super happy. One other piece for me has been that I like words. I was much better at words than I was at numbers. Uh, in school. And so somewhere along the way, I also had the opportunity to use words in, in media and uh, got connected to the professional athlete space a little bit and got to write some speeches and do some public relations, crisis management, where you're using words to help a situation or help an individual or an organization get the right message for what they're doing. So the leadership and coaching stuff I do in the legal space, primarily in personal injury law. And it started in Bryan College Station, but it's now, you know, I'm, I'm very fortunate that I have a, a developing a little bit bigger footprint into the, into the country. Well, Bill, tell us a little bit more about, let's kind of, kind of dig in. So you talked about being passionate about where around something that you're, you're really, really good at. And so from a practical standpoint, what does that look like for Biggs and Associates? So, because you're a consultant, you come in alongside and you help primarily legal firms. Give me something tangible of what you actually do. I mean, how do you come in and assess? How do you look at their culture? How do you help them define it? What does that actually mean? Other than saying, just come coach me, what does that really mean? 
Yeah. So when I work with a firm and I do it almost, well, primarily with law firms, but I found that these same principles apply into any organization. And so I have worked with a few non-legal organizations as well. I start with culture and leadership. Those are the lenses. Those are the places that make the most sense to me of what is most important in an organization. And so uh, I also believe in a top-down approach, meaning that what happens, what's believed, who the people are at the top, the leaders, is the most important thing in the organization. They set the tone, and ultimately everything is their responsibility. One of my favorite sayings is, every problem is a leadership problem. I mean, at the end of the day, it all comes down to the leader, and they shouldn't take the credit when things go right. That should be given to the team. But when things go wrong, the leader has to take a step back and say, where did I miss it or what do we need to do to come up with a solution? So I come into an organization and I'm going to evaluate the leadership and I'm going to evaluate the culture. Culture is a buzzword in you know corporate America right now. It's probably overused, in my opinion. So I've spent a lot of time kind of on the geek side, the research side interest, trying to figure out what is culture? Like, how do you evaluate that? What is it really? Because most people uh, think that it's breakfast tacos on Friday morning, you know, to the team or something like that. That's not the case, right? It's so much greater than that. So I've come to, I, I started to study corporate culture and organizational culture through the lens that a sociologist would study a regular, you know, people group. How does a sociologist look at culture? So I, I say that it's from a socio-anthropological view that ultimately, and this is going to sound cliche, but culture is everything. It's everything you do, but it's primarily built upon the values and beliefs of a group of people. And so you think about that, that could be a family. That could be a couple that's building their family on a certain set of values and beliefs. Uh, that could be a small group of people, an extended family, all the way to you know a tribal group, all the way to a community, a city. You know, like I do work with a great firm in Philadelphia. Philadelphia has a culture, right? There's certain things that, that Philly people believe in the way they function. Right. And one of them is to hate anybody who doesn't love the Philadelphia Eagles. Like that is a, you must believe that or you're not allowed in the culture. Right. Uh, Aggies. Look, I mean, I was look about at Aggie to say culture. that sounds like Aggie culture, right? Right. It, yeah. Yeah. But we, we just, we love them. They're just, they just misunderstood. We don't hate them. <laughs> we just tolerate everybody else. Right. Yeah. So I, I think culture is the va- it starts with values and beliefs, but it's the traditions, the norms, it's the language, like things that inside jokes and the what we call something that other people might not exactly I, the way we word our core values. All of that stuff is what makes up the culture. But lately, I've come to believe that culture can be defined and can be measured. That's what I'm working on right now is figuring out a way to measure the health of culture in an organization. And I'm pretty sure that it comes down to what I call the three beliefs. And that is that throughout the organization, starting with the leadership, then all the way throughout the organization, how saturated and how strong are the beliefs across the board on these three things? Number one, the purpose or mission of the company or the organization. Number two, each other. How much do we believe in each other? So number one, how much do we believe in our mission? and our purpose, what we do, and why we do it, our why, Simon Sinek would say our why. And then the second thing is how much do we believe in each other? Trust, connection, belief, care for one another, love, all of that. That's the second belief. How much do we believe in each other? And then the third thing is how much do we believe in the client? 
How much do we believe in the people that we serve as an organization? I'm pretty convinced. I, even though I've only been working up on this for a few months, kind of mulling this over and doing some research, I'm pretty convinced that if your organization is strong in those three things, saturated from if you've got true believers at the top all the way to the brand new hires, then you probably have an extremely strong corporate culture. And if you don't have those three things, a uh, strong belief in those three things throughout your organization, you probably have a lot of weak points. So, Bill, what have you seen accomplished because a group had a strong culture that you would assess that they wouldn't be able to accomplish with a weaker culture? I talk too much, but I, this one will be a quick and easy answer. You get higher performance, longer from more people when you have strong culture. It's pretty simple. I think culture is what draws out the performance in a group. And it also starts with choosing the right people, right? So if you've got the right cultural constructs, then you're going to have a big, you know, there's going to be a big bar in order or a high bar in order to get into the organization. Uh, so it starts there, but then you get these high, high culture people, high performing, high potential people into the organization. And if you have culture, if you have strong culture, you believe in the purpose, you believe in each other, you believe in the client, then you're going to have people that work for you. They're going to give everything they've got and they're going to do that more often. And they're going to do it joyfully because they believe because we're doing It's not just work. It's a part of their life mission. It's a part of their identity. That's a good thing. And they're going to perform at a higher rate. So to me, it's, it's pretty simple. High culture equals high performance. So let me ask then. All right. So we've got the three beliefs here, purpose, team and client. But what about folks that have a business that have a product, right? Instead of, right? Because this sounds really good for service companies, really awesome for service companies for that matter. But what about like if someone's selling a product like, you know, Mission, right? Mission is selling, you know, all sorts of different products for cooling. So how does culture fit into a company like that? That's a great question. And look, I feel blessed that I get to work in an environment that I, I easily find purpose in what I do. And I understand that there are some places that it may be a little bit more challenging to figure out how you find purpose in this thing. But one comes to mind. I mean, just thinking about the most offhanded stuff. I mean, the people who make Charmin toilet paper, their commercials, they have great commercials. They have found a way to say, hey, we love the fact that we make the best toilet paper. And this is important to all of us. And so we want to give you something that's so important that who would ever thought that you could find purpose in making toilet paper. But I watch those Charmin commercials and I think they've got it. They figured it out. Like they found the purpose in their product and they embrace it. Uh, so look, at the end of the day, the answer to your question is every product is sold to a person in some way or another. And if you can connect your product to people, then I think you find purpose there. So, so client equals customers, right? So that, those, right. those two could be interchanged. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Absolutely. hundred percent. Got it. Well, Bill, looking forward in the world and the pun, the culture that we have now, I mean, someone like you who comes alongside and says, okay, there's one thing that you can have that gives you a greater competitive edge than anything else. And that is the belief that you as an organization, the culture that you have, and to be able to kind of shape and change that. Is there something that you look out and, you know, based on our society or something, what are some things that are changing 
that are going to really be impactful in the next three, four, five years? And then how are you coaching your clients to be able to take advantage of that and really work through it? That's a deep question. It's an important question. I think corporations, uh, businesses, organizations right now, I, I think there's a, uh, a refining going on. And I, I think it, there's some challenges out there for us because there is a little pushback, maybe not a little, maybe there's a lot of pushback in our culture right now. The work culture, you know, the great resignation, quiet quitting, all of this stuff. I, I think people aren't finding as much purpose in their work as they used to. And I think it's just a job. They want to make their money. Uh, they're, they're willing to make less money. It, it seems like because a lot of people aren't working as much as they used to. I don't know that that's going to stay that way. I think it may cycle back. But at the end of the day, companies, to me, culture is becoming more critical than ever. You've got high remote workforce stuff going on, people not wanting to come into an office. It's hard to build culture remotely. It's hard to build culture when you're just seeing each other on a Zoom screen. It's much easier to do that in person. You got a lot of people Unless who don't everybody's work. on a Zoom screen that you like you have. Well, I, I, yeah, I'd be willing to give it a try if yeah. I had that background. But you, know. you'd, but you'd rather come to Hawaii and be here with me, wouldn't you? Right? <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Easier to build culture in Hawaii than to look at Hawaii on the Zoom screen. <laughs> now, look, I believe that that corporations, uh, companies right now are are at a testing point because if they don't have strong culture. I think they're going to see performance declines. I think they're going to see uh, a lot more issues with their team. Uh, I think they're going to see less productivity, less performance, because people are less inclined to just be a good company guy or company gal. And so I think now companies more than ever need to be looking and saying, how do we demonstrate to our team that the work they do is valuable and that they are valuable and that we're contributing something meaningful to society and to others, because right now it's feeling like a lot of people are just, there's some distance between companies and their, and their people. It, there's, there's some wedges that have developed and I don't see any way. I don't think we've been, we've had enough time to see true research. So people say, Oh, work from home is just as effective. I don't know if we've had enough time to know whether or not we can make any definitive statements on that. But I'm going to be very interested to see company performance, productivity over the next two to three years with what with these trends as they currently are. So that was one going to be one of my questions here is, is that the trend is work from home, right? I mean, literally everything has been since COVID. That was the accelerator pre-COVID. That was kind of the trend leading into that, right? Yeah. But, you know, that's been the accelerator has been COVID. So how how do you build that culture then? remotely. How do you, I mean, like literally my, my team is a hundred percent remote, right? I've, I've got people in South Carolina in Pakistan here in Bryan college station over in Houston. I've got people everywhere. You know, the, the big question going through my mind is how do we build that culture? Then how do we do those three, three beliefs where everyone is bought in? Again, another great question. Look, I, I have believed up to this point, I pushed against this, the work from home thing. Personally, I want my people in around me in-house. I'm a, I'm a together guy. I, I like to have people around and the energy and all of that stuff. But the reality is that it's not going to stay that way. It hasn't, right? As you said, COVID yeah. was the accelerator. And so I, I've also always said that every company, every organization, every group has a culture. The question is, is it the culture you want? Is it the culture that you've designed? Is it intentional? 
there's going to be some culture that happens no matter what you do, but you want it to be the one you want, <laughs> one that you've designed, one that's intentional. So uh, I think companies are going to have to be even more intentional, even more direct. Mm -hmm. And now I'm, as I've talked about these three beliefs about reinforcing, what is our purpose? Why do we exist? And you're going to have to do that via zoom. You're going to have to do that by, uh, the moments that the moments that you do have, whether it's via zoom or in person, you're going to have to make the most of those moments. I think there was a book out there that said the power of moments. I think that's true now in corporate culture to reinforce those beliefs and to reinforce how valuable the client is, to reinforce how valuable the team is, to reinforce how valuable our purpose is. I'm also a big believer. It'd be harder uh, in a situation where you've got multinational, where you've got you know, people in Pakistan, but I'm seeing a lot of law firms who are primarily remote. Uh, they're making it work, but they're getting their people together on some type of rhythm. Uh, I know a, a great firm, the Lake Law Firm, they are completely remote, but they four times a year, gather at a really cool place. And it's almost a vacation for their entire team. Uh, they bring their families for part of it. And the money that they're saving on on brick and mortar, the owner, Ed Lake, is putting into these trips. But they do business. They do work on the trips. Mm -hmm. But really, it's to connect everybody. Yeah. And the last I spoke at the last one they have, and it was in New Orleans. They brought all their team down. They had this great time. First their leadership team for several days, then the rest of the team in New Orleans. And he paid for all of it. And he told me, he said, it's still going to cost me less to do this than it will to to have a big building and pay yeah. utilities on it. So I, I get it. But again, he's still bringing them. To, uh, there's still a in-person human yeah. element. And in my heart, I don't want to give that up. If you can build great culture outside of having human contact and human presence together, which I think you can. I just think it, it's reinforcing those moments through whatever mechanisms you, you have. But deep in my gut, I still believe that it can be better when it has elements that are in person and that's needed. Well, Bill, can you tell us, you know, you, you're obviously a, a big picture guy and, and you're you're looking out and seeing, OK, here, here's what I see on the horizon. What's the BHAG, the big, hairy, audacious goal for Bigs and Associates? I think a BHAG sometimes evolves uh, over time. But mine, I've always come back to that I want to impact as many lives for the good as possible. That's it. I want to impact as many lives for good as possible. Now, the subset of that would be I'm going to do that through the legal space and by building leaders uh, and by building culture in law firms across the country. To put more meat on the bone, I want to have a national organization. I'm in the process of creating a national organization for law firm executives, uh, starting with COOs, but a national organization where they are, as Cameron Harold says, the second in command, the COOs, and they're very pivotal people in most law firms. Usually you have the owner or the partners of the firm, and right under that group or that person, you have the COO, and they they oversee, obviously, all the operations. I want to see a, a conglomerate, a connecting point, a tribe of those people from law firms across the country where they can come together and get coached, get encouraged, get challenged, get taken care of uh, so they can go back. And if I can impact them, if I can help improve their lives and help give them values of one of my mantras is love your people, demand high performance. 
if I can help every COO in an American law firm to better love their people and then to better coach their people to high performance, and I believe strongly it has to come in that order and is becoming more and more true in this culture, love them first, earn the right to demand high performance. If I can do that, then I feel like I'm impacting the highest number of people because it'll trickle down. It'll flow down. So that's the BHAG. Yeah, that's an awesome BHAG. Love it. Absolutely love that. All right, before we uh, move on, we're going to take a little pause here for a message from our sponsor. All right, Bill, here are the rules for the lightning round. You have 30 seconds or less to answer each of the questions. You up for it? You're going to buzz me? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I need a buzzer. Actually, it needs to be like yeah. a whoop, right? <laughs> We we, we we said since season four, we'd been like, we need to have like a timer, like right yeah. here. Yeah. Like, yeah. No. Right. You're right. Yeah. I was almost going to grab my phone and be like, I need to do these guys right and shut up. <laughs> All right. So here we go. You ready for it? I'm ready. All right. What is your favorite hack? This can be personal, can be business. Anything goes here because. My favorite hack is Aggie growth hacks. <laughs> Done. <laughs> Three seconds. Nice. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> okay. Well, that. Yeah, I will. I'm serious. I'll, that. Right. Yeah. The, right. I'll love it. Okay. That's awesome. Listen to well, this podcast. Yes, I agree a thousand percent. <laughs> Bill, what is what is the favorite bit of advice and one thousand nine hundred ninety four points if you get it right? <laughs> or if you tell if you tell us how to how you applied it, this is personal. It's personal, but it's also true in in corporate business life as well. A great man, professor at A and M, Professor Dan Hale in the Meat Sciences Department, right? And that very A and M ish Aggie. He told me one time. He said, "Bill, you're not raising sons; you're raising fathers." And always remember that. Think about raising fathers hmm. rather than just oh, raising yeah. sons. Wow. That's a life changer. And yeah. so I'm not just I'm not just leading a team member, an entry level team member. I'm potentially leading and coaching a future COO. All right, Bill, what is your superpower? I think my superpower is I pretty quickly understand what another person is feeling and thinking after spending a few minutes with them. And I'm able to respond to that in a way to help them feel valuable and to build trust empathy love it some emotional intelligence empathy something along those lines yeah bill what gets you out of bed and excited about your business every day and i mean how can you not be excited when your business is pouring into other people and trying to love people and do good and win i mean i love my work immensely. And by the way, and I'll get this in 30 seconds. I do not believe in work-life balance because I am, my work is a part of my identity. I believe uh, in a well-integrated life. That's what I call it. And so yes, family and personal life and all the, but I am, my work is a part of me and vice versa. And I think it should be that for everyone. So I don't like the idea of work over here for, I don't even think that's true for most people. So I love it. I love waking up and loving on people. I love that. All right. So we all know how powerful that the Aggie network is. You are awesome. And so how do we, how does the Aggie network get in touch with you and support you moving forward? 
I'm so dyed in the wool. I, I'm still one of those guys at 50 years old, depending on the outcome fall Saturday, it has too much influence on my week. So, uh, you know, I, I am my whole So when we lost to App State, you just said, screw it, I'm going to Hawaii. And then, and then... That's right. That's right. That's right. And it's love-hate, right? I mean, it, you know, it's like, I can't believe it. I'm not watching it. You know, I'm a Texas junkie. I'm, a, I'm all in. Um, so the Aggie Network, I love the Aggie Network. And the way they can reach out to me, I host a podcast. Uh, they can go to litify, L-I-T-I-F-Y dot com backslash culture of law and listen to the podcast. That podcast is called Transforming the Culture of Law. They can follow me on LinkedIn, Bill Biggs. They can also reach out to me uh, on Facebook, Bill Biggs, anybody at any time. And I don't mind giving out my cell phone number, 979-219-1404. Reach out, text me, and um, Love to hear from you. Well, Bill, thank you so much for coming on Aggie Growth Hacks. Thank you for really allowing us to, to kind of unpack what it takes to grow and to define and to build a strong team through their culture. Uh, it is so awesome to see how you are influencing companies, firms, individuals, families, communities for the good. And uh, really can't thank you enough for joining us and, and sharing your time with us today. Thanks, guys. Really appreciate you both. Enjoyed it. Gig them. Gig them. Now go, now go hit the, hit the surf. <laughs> I just really enjoyed it. Well, how about that, Ags? Was that awesome or what? I definitely had a ton of things that I wrote down here in my, my uh, journal. You know, so I don't even know where to start. <laughs> what was your biggest takeaway there, Greg? The biggest takeaway is that we're a bunch of suckers. We need to be on the beach of Hawaii with Bill. Yes. And so so yes. congrats to Bill for being the the farthest Aggie entrepreneur that we have interviewed so far that's been away from College Station. Uh, so, so that's hashtag goals right there. But... Uh, <laughs> But seriously, I had a couple of things that, that really struck out to me. One is, you know, we talked about loving your people and demanding high performance, but it was the focus on loving your people first. Let them know that you, it is, it is safe, that you are protecting them, that you are, you are still demanding a lot from them. Mm-hmm. but that you are showing that you care and you love. And, and I think that that's been something that, that I've seen in a couple of the firms that Bill has worked with. And and honestly, quite frankly, I also see that in, in my company is that the culture that we've built here in Aggieland is really um, a lot of love to one another, but we demand high performance for a lot of different reasons. So um, I would say that. And then, then real quick, I also loved his three beliefs, you know, understanding the, the belief in the purpose of the mission of the company, um, the belief in each other, going back to loving one another, uh, loving your people, and then your belief in the client or the customer um, and how powerful those things are as an assessment of the strength of your culture. What was something that you picked up on? I totally would go with what you said for sure. Um, but I have to put in here, you know, I, I wrote down and I, I literally started this about four or five times, live out your design, right? He, mm-hmm. he said that that we're told to do what you love to do and you'll never have to work, right? That's what we as a society have been told. And he said that that's actually false. And what you need to do is really learn what you're good at and do that, right? And live out your design. We are designed with a purpose from someone you know, up above, whoever that you call that person, I call it God, but God has given me a purpose, right? To mm-hmm. help others achieve greatness through their marketing. That's my purpose, right? 
And that is what I know that that I need to do and to help out. So I love that. Live out your design. Live your design what you were designed for. 100%. That was really good and really powerful to see that in action uh, through Bill, work that he does, and the people that, that uh, the companies or the firms that he serves. Well, Ags, that's going to do it for this episode of Aggie Growth Hacks. We hope that you enjoyed it as much as we enjoyed having our conversation with Bill. If you're not connected with Bill, Ags, he gave you your phone number. Literally pick up the phone. I would love for you to pick up the phone and then drop us a message on uh, on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, and let us know that you connected with Bill. Uh, if you're not connected with Chris or I on social media or Aggie Growth Hacks, go to facebook.com, find the Aggie Growth Hacks uh, Facebook group and join it. If you don't know where it is, connect with Chris and I, and we'd be happy to send you a link. While you're there, we also hope that you check out aggiegrowthhacks.com, where you can listen to this episode, previous episodes, and some of the other great content that we have. We also want to give a huge shout out to our sponsor, the McFerrin Center for Entrepreneurship at Texas A&M University. Since 1999, the McFerrin Center for Entrepreneurship has served as the hub of entrepreneurship for Texas A&M. If you're an Aggie entrepreneur or even a entrepreneur, head on over to their website now to find a program that's right for you. Just go to aggiegrowthhacks.com forward slash McFerrin. Well, join us next time when we connect with another great Aggie entrepreneur and learn how they hack their growth. Until then, I'm Chris Hunter. And I'm Greg Martin. Thanks and gig em.